You're listening to Agency Dealmasters, brought to you by Bridge. In this bonus episode of Agency Dealmasters, I have two extra special guests. Emma Thompson is the head of agency for Consumer Brands, and Paul Sheldon is the senior creative at Consumer Brands for Golly Slater. Both of them just have tons of personality, and it just feels really good to speak to people that really know what they're talking about when it comes to the metaverse. If you are interested in what the metaverse is and how consumer brands are using it to grow their businesses, then you will find this conversation to be absolutely fascinating. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Emma Thompson and Paul Sheldon. My name is Nathan Anibaba, and this is Agency Dealmasters. Agency Dealmasters is a series of conversations with world-class agency leaders building great agency businesses. I believe everyone belongs in the growth journey, and this show is dedicated to the stories and the lessons of ambitious agency builders of all types by examining their history, competitive advantage, and what makes them tick. Now, let's jump in. Emma Thompson is the head of agency consumer brands for Golly Slater. She has over 20 years of marketing and agency experience across brand, pharmaceutical, shopper, and retail. Paul Sheldon is the senior creative at Consumer Brands and has creatively led accounts such as Nestle and Coca-Cola for the last eight years. Golly Slater is a 65-year-old integrated national agency. They have over 170 sex specialists and discipline experts and have an average client tenure of around 10 years with the best in the business, including P&G, Coca-Cola, Mitsubishi, Welsh government, Royal Mint. Just, just go down the list of some of the biggest companies around. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Emma and Paul, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Hi there. Thank you very much for having us. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Super excited to have you on the show and have you back on the show, Emma. This is a subject I'm I'm glad that we've got some experts on because this is a subject that I know very little about the metaverse. So I'm hoping that you can educate me and the rest of our audience who are probably in my similar shoes. Let's start by giving everyone an explanation about what the metaverse actually is. Tough question. And I think go back to your point about having experts in the metaverse. I don't think there's such a thing. There's no such thing as an expert in the total metaverse because it is so all-encompassing. When, when I get asked that question, which me and Paul get asked that question a lot, what is the metaverse? It's probably easy to start with what it isn't <laughs> because the metaverse isn't a place. It's not a thing. It's not a digital platform. It's not a universe. And do you know what? It's not even here. It's not even here yet. It's not been built. It's not seamless. It's not there. So what it will be, though, and how we pretty much try to define it is it's, it's a parallel world to our real world where platforms and technologies will seamlessly converge together that will include augmented reality, virtual reality, video games, and this thriving decentralized uh, economy. So you've got to see it really as an ecosystem. It's just a way of being, and it's a it's a digital reality where people are going to be able to play and learn and socialize, but it's going to be a persistent universe. It's going to be persistently always going to be there. It's always going to be on. It's a bit like the internet. 
I just wanted to give it a bit of background that there's a little fact that that phrase is actually the metaverse is from a sci-fi novel from the early 90s uh, called Snow Crash. And the uh, author, Neil Stevenson, referred to the metaverse as an all-encompassing digital world that exists in parallel to the real world, as Emma just described. Um, and then just, just to sort of build on some of the comments that Emma made about what the metaverse is, we, we feel like it's got four main features. So it's got persistence, which is real time. It's never pausing. It's got presence. So you've got the use of avatars for self-expression and interacting in immersive ways. It's got that virtual economy and taking advantage of blockchains and finance like crypto. And a really important one for us is interoperability, which isn't a word that you hear every day, but what it means is seamlessly transferring digital assets across different platforms. So when, when that all kind of seamlessly connects, that's when we know that the kind of metaverse is sort of here. I can't remember the last time I used the word interoperability. You said it, <laughs> it just, just rolls off the tongue for you. <laughs> So how are people going to use it? That's the bit that I'm struggling with. Like, what will be the interface? How will we access the metaverse? It's happening now. We actually are. It's not a, um, people are using it in their everyday lives and they just probably don't realize they're doing it. It's not like, hey, come and join us in the metaverse because it's not a place. It's not a thing that actually exists. In fact, we, me and Paul laugh about the metaverse as being a place and we say come and come and join us in the metaverse as just as a tongue-in-cheek joke because you can't meet somebody in the metaverse because it's not a place where you can actually go and hook up in reality or should i say virtual reality people are using the metaverse by anyone is using the metaverse by downloading digital goods like an nft by buying into crypto uh, currency and using a coinbase wallet Anyone who's ever used an AR filter is starting to use the metaverse. And anyone who's ever put on a VR headset is in the metaverse. Okay. So the metaverse, like what Paul said earlier, it's the conjoining of four technology pillars that are going to seamlessly, through interoperability, be able to transfer your kind of digital assets backwards and forwards. So it's not an actual place. Like I say, it's an ecosystem. And people who are just dipping their toes into using one or two of these applications are actually getting themselves metaverse ready. Yeah. A lot of consumers are already using aspects of it, but in a disconnected way. Um, and a, a really good term uh, that will, most people won't be familiar with is XR. And it's a kind of umbrella term for augmented reality, virtual reality, and mixed reality technologies. Uh, so you've got companies like Samsung, Meta, Apple, Microsoft. They're all creating VR and AR glasses and headsets, which are on the way. And it, that commercial, there's a commercial aspect that's gone from being just a novelty into really practical applications. So you've, you can also sort of see Google doing AR wayfinding, and you've got Amazon uh, creating Try Before You Buy. Um, filters where you can drop products into your home environment. So you, we're already seeing aspects of it being used. So it's just a case of it all being kind of joined up, really. Agency Deal Masters is brought to you by Bridge, the growth-focused podcast agency. 
We help ambitious agencies talk to the right brands through the power of podcasting. Generate leads, win new business and increase reputation. Check out our clients' podcasts and find more resources to keep learning at bridgegrowth.org. Now, back to the show. In preparation for this interview, I asked around the office, guys, what do you, what do you think the metaverse is? What is the metaverse? And the most common response that I've had so far is, oh, it's like when you're on Zoom, you can actually be on a Zoom meeting, but digitally in a, in a virtual um, environment and you can so I think a lot of the applications that I'm hearing anyway from colleagues is the application for meetings um w- you know what are the applications when it comes to business that's what I want to kind of explore now um and what are the most common misconceptions that you're hearing about what it is and isn't Probably the answer to that one is very much about what sectors and what's exciting sectors. That's the, the one for Paolo. Yeah. So uh, this case of which brands are showing up in the metaverse or, or this sort of emerging metaverse, um, we know that the potential is really huge. So we've got, uh, I'm going to go through some examples here of what other brands are doing just to give you a sort of feel of, of how things are evolving. So you've got uh, the virtual gaming marketplace, Decentraland, have just hosted the first ever Metaverse Fashion Week on their platform. Um, so lots of uh, luxury brands came together, did catwalks. There were an opportunity for people to mix in a, a kind of open community and uh, mingle and socialise and, and actually see certain shows. Um, you've got HSBC Bank, have just announced and set up shop in the sandbox and it's creating educational financial gains. And then in the kind of gaming environment, you've got world famous celebrities like Ariana Grande and Travis Scott, and they've held virtual concerts in Fortnite in their kind of party royale arena. So they've got like 120 million views on some of these concerts. So it's really huge in terms of other kind of industries like healthcare, you've got doctors who are collaborating and training in VR for surgeries using uh, Microsoft HoloLens. And then on the other contrast, you've got um, skateboarding shoe brands like Vans uh, creating entire spaces in Roblox with virtual skating parks and people could spot the new Vans collection and buy NFTs. Uh, you've got Samsung, electronic uh, manufacturer, holding retail events with a dedicated virtual store. And another sort of layer to that is they've been using virtual influencers. So AI, uh, also you've got car manufacturers like Cupra, who've just announced MetaHype, which allows them to create virtual showrooms and communities and appeal to new audiences. And you've got, on top of that, you've got racing experiences that blend real world racing with uh, virtual worlds. You've got Nike Land on Roblox again, which has got a number of game experiences and rewards and marketplaces uh, so people can buy NFTs. And then for us, the the last one is a great example, which is Gucci, which has been really innovative over the last few years. And their approach is that they've uh, gone at it with lots of different activations to reach uh, basically a new savvy audience. And they've looked at Roblox, Zekito, and Sandbox, which are all kind of social platforms. They kind of blend gaming and social communities. 
and it's a place where they can purchase digital fashion wear. And on top of that, they've got the Gucci Vault, which is an experimental online space where they can sell NFTs, um, which cost just as much in the real world as they're doing in the virtual world. So that's just a little snapshot. So if I follow on from that, really, going back to the point when we say that uh, the metaverse is basically the digital reality where you can work, you can learn, you can play, you can socialise. You can see how it's very, very disjointed at the moment and that there's a lot of brands showing up and doing various different things in different platforms. But because it's because the metaverse is not here, it doesn't feel seamless. It doesn't feel as if that brand is showing up in a place that's totally joined up together. But someone like Gucci that we said that was a brilliant best in class example, that's because they, although it's all disjointed because the activities are being done in silos, they have consistently pushed their brand out in all of these different tactics in a very consistent way. Um, so they're probably what we would we would herald as best in class for being metaverse ready. So let's take the Gucci example um, and examine that a little a little bit further. I mean, I I can see the application for a lot of retailers in the metaverse, but it's argued that you know whatever new technology comes about, marketers have a way of ruining any any new tech or any new um, kind of trend. Maybe talk about the Gucci example. And what's been good about the way that they've inserted their brand into the metaverse that isn't off-putting and that really allows users to still enjoy the metaverse experience or the gaming experience, but without being off-putting? One of the reasons why we like, we like the Gucci example is because they show up real and authentic to their brand. So wherever they are, whether in Zepido or they're in Roblox, they are, or they've done Decentraland, they've done NFTs, whatever they're doing, they're doing something that makes total sense for their brand to do. So I use, you know, when you're a marketer, the last thing you want to do is to see your brand turn up in a place where they look like they're going to be daddy dancing in the corner of a kid's disco, that they are there not showing up real and relevant to their audience or to themselves. And they're kind of selling themselves a bit short. And I think one of the reasons why we're really passionate about this space is because we've seen it go wrong. We've seen people do very bad examples. And I really don't want to kind of like um, uh, name and shame any of the bad brands that we believe are doing, are doing it wrong here. But the ones that are doing it fantastically well, the biggest litmus test is the fact that they are showing up in the right place, talking to the right people with the right tone of voice and the right activation. And for me, Nike, Adidas and Gucci are doing absolutely that. Just add into that. I just think, you know, this is a new space and it's quite a level playing field for anyone really because the creators have really adopted this space. You can see entire new IPs appearing, like Board uh, Ape Yacht Club and uh, Pixel Punks. And, you know, these are creators who've come in and created something brand new. And it's the brands who are feeling that they need to sort of collaborate with these up-and-coming new, fresh um, ideas. And it, it's, it's quite refreshing, really, that 
they're kind of learning and exploring alongside consumers. And I think if to be seen doing that is is it's quite humble, really, isn't it, as a brand? And it is exciting. And and for me, for creators especially, all the tools are there. It's a level playing field. Anyone can create these themselves. And that's what brands are doing as well. So you don't need a huge, massive budget to do something exciting. You know, Nike, for example, have offered complete asset kits to their fans so they can create their own experiences. So there's a lot of kind of collaboration there where brands used to be really sort of precious about their IP and now they're willing to sort of share and and grow and create a bit of kind of storytelling with, with their own fan, fans and consumers. How do brands get it wrong? Which are the brands that are not doing this very well? One thing that we've realised in the last couple of years when we've been uh, looking at this sort of innovation proposition, what we've seen is that brands who want to talk to gamer audiences naturally seem to think that esports is the thing to do. And we've realised that that's not the case. You know, you can talk to this sort of, um, there's almost like a stereotype that a gamer is a teenage boy. And we've completely dispelled that myth. You know, a gamer is anyone. You know, it can be a casual gamer. It can be um, a hardcore gamer. But you can speak to those people in their space. You don't have to do esports. And I think that's something that we've felt quite strongly about. Um, and that's just under, understanding the space, really, and understanding gamers. Yeah, we started this 24 months ago because both me and Paul are gamers and we, we're not teenage boys um, in our bedrooms. And, Anymore. No, I'm, <laughs> I've never been a teenage boy. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, we, don't, we didn't like the way that brands were showing up and interrupting our gameplay. They weren't coming up real and relevant. You know, I don't want to be told to go off and play Candy Crush when I'm playing something that is way more exciting than Candy Crush. Right. You know, I've been playing it for five years and I'm a beta player. Why are you telling me to download Candy Crush? Do I look Candy like... Crush is pretty exciting though. <laughs> it's not as strategic as my the, the games that I wanted to play. But yeah. W- yeah, we had this massive frustration in the space of like using advertising space completely wrongly. And we wanted to just to show our brands that y- y- you can show up in these spaces and you can talk in the ecosystem that gamers talk in because it's not just in-game advertising you can do. You can go to Twitch, you can go to Discord, you can use the creator economy um, and the creators themselves to actually push the gameplay because these are built-in communities, closed world garden communities of absolute die-hard fans and fans follow fans and that's what we're starting to notice so if we take the the social media itself is absolutely dimensionalizing because of this rapid change in the way that we're consuming information on the internet and that's pretty much what's fueling that plus technology is what's fueling the metaverse conversation to make it a fait accompli really so social media used to be my friends in the real world, I can connect on a social media platform like Facebook. I, you know, I'm going to be friends with someone from my PTA club. I'm going to be friends with somebody who I used to work with 20 years ago. But now we're seeing that um, there's communities being built based on shared interests alone and just shared interests. So TikTok and YouTube have now got phenomenal followings because 
the algorithms that are set will only serve up the content that you're interested in seeing. It's not about who you're following, who you know in the real world. It's about joining communities that for, are based on shared interests. So social media alone is actually, it's beyond social. It's now community-based. And that's where we're seeing the power of the creators that are coming into those spaces. So we're seeing that I'm a gamer. I follow all the stuff for uh, Zenith is the newest game that I'm playing at the moment. So I follow Zenith, but now I'm actually following some of the gamers on Zenith to hack on what's the best thing to do and what have you. They will become kind of influencers of the future. They will be the ones that everyone start following. So you've got a core gen genre that everyone's following and then subgroups to that are following the fans. So the creators themselves are becoming a lot more powerful. And then what we're actually wanting to consume and our communities that we're wanting to be part of on the internet are all based off interests rather than off friendship groups in the real world going forward. I think above all, you know, brands have got to be really authentic. You know, you can't buy people's time. You've got to earn it. And that's, you know, being rich in content and giving people what they want in the space. Does it enhance their experience rather than trying to disrupt it? And I think that's really important. I can see the applications in, in gaming and we know the, the gaming communities are huge today and they're no longer just, just teenage boys in, in their bedrooms. Um, that they extend to many other people as well. But what needs to happen to make the metaverse mainstream? We mentioned before, it's the interoperability. Um, so there are hundreds of companies at the moment that are hardware, software, intelligence-based companies that have to pretty much like evolve their own offering and combine those offerings together in order for the metaverse to be all-encompassing. So we've got like metaverse gateway platforms such as Horizon and Roblox. Um, and we've got the economy base such as CoinWallet and Crypto. And we've got like AI providers such as OpenAI and NVIDIA. All of these need to kind of like almost like evolve themselves and work together in order for the seamless interoperability experience. Now, What's interesting to make it actually mainstream for people, it's not just the tech that needs to be advancing so that we can have that interoperability, but it's also people's appetite of wanting to be in this space. You know, we get told loads of times, it's not for me, I'm out, I don't understand it, you know. But then my mum probably said like 20 years ago that she didn't want a mobile phone, but she's got one. You know, and the Internet of Things came in and it's like, oh, my gosh, the Internet of Things, this label, what is it? Well, OK, so it's you've got a smart device to turn your heating off. That's it. OK, that's 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 all it is. And but the but we label these things and the metaverse is a label for something that isn't physical or real. So we're not really grasping what it is. And all it actually is, is the future of the way that we um, interact with um our digital selves it is it is an evolution and I, I think people because we're talking about this big thing i think people expect it to be this somehow big launch and it but it is a reality that will evolve over time and it's you know as emma's mentioned these technologies will seamlessly join up 
so that will eventually have this fully realised version of what people are expecting. But it, like the internet, we'll just take it for granted. And that mainstream adoption will just come gradually. And for those people who are a bit kind of wary of change, you know, it will just creep up and happen. The future happens really slowly and then all at once, right? <laughs> it's here. It just it conjoins. And we, we, we use the words uh, convergence. Convergence, yeah. Convergence all the time. Things are going to converge and then it's going to arrive, but it's not going to arrive like with a big brand launch. It's just going to start happening. I think what's interesting, the reason why the debate of the word metaverse all of a sudden came about, probably about two or three months ago, is when Facebook came out and decided to call themselves meta and appropriated themselves immediately with something that doesn't, doesn't physically exist. And that, for me, is an incredibly interesting point. Obviously, they've, they've gone out, they've called themselves meta. They own Oculus, which is the hardware um, for VR. And now they're calling themselves Meta. They are a social media platform. So in nature, what they want to do is bring people together socially. And actually, what the Metaverse really is, is about working, playing and socialising. So they know that their f- the future of Facebook is going to be in open environments where you can communicate freely. Um, and by appropriating themselves to this word meta, it started that massive debate. What is it? Do they own it? And they actually don't own it. But what they are, they have done is they've, they've, because they've come out and they've called themselves meta, they are clearly saying that they want metaverse to be social. And it is going to be the way that we're going to socially join up together in communities when we're not doing it face to face. We will be doing these open space communities um, online, but in a in a real time way, like we're doing now. They do make it sound like it's a product, and it it's not. You can there's hundreds of companies all across the world who are contributing in different ways to 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 create this realization of the metaverse. You know, they're all looking at the kind of building blocks. Um, hundreds of companies doing different innovations which will uh, contribute it contribute in in various ways so that there's this ultimate convergence of technologies that will create what we all expect but you know and a lot of us expect something out of a sci-fi movie but the reality is that it's going to just happen gradually over time so final question before i let both of you go this has been fascinating understanding the tech and the main players and what the ecosystem looks like. So, so thanks for coming on and, and demystifying uh, it for me and making me a bit less stupid about the, meta, the metaverse. If, if you were to bet your house on the way this will go in the next three to five years, what would you bet? It's, it's absolutely guaranteed that it's coming. There is no doubt that it won't come and it won't have mainstream mass adoption because it will just integrate into people's existence. What's interesting, me and Paul have had this debate and you say that like my mom doesn't like using a mobile phone. She will use the metaverse because it will be easier for her to do it because there will be less profiles that need to be raised for different platforms she will be a digital person in her own right in 
one application that moves to another application or another program uh, or another platform and it will be easier for people to be online it's not going to be harder it's going to be easier so mainstream adoption is going to happen because it interface wise it's going to be easier for us to use and we're going to actually be able to potentially make money in this space uh, or we're going to be able to work in this space or have things made easier for us by the digital version of ourselves doing things that we don't want to have to do like the, an AI version of myself might take care of my banking needs or paying my window cleaner. Yeah, I think it's inevitable too. You know, how can it not happen? It's already in motion. You know, it's you know it, to say it's not going to happen when all these companies are all contributing and they're the only the companies that are, are telling you what they're doing. You know, there's so many more doing exciting, innovative stuff. And it's just a race now to see who will lead it. Um, I always really like this phrase that we've took from our uh, presentation, which is gamers believe they're already exploring a version of it. And the crypto community believe that they're building the infrastructure and finance of it. And web de developers already want to keep it free and open for all. And then creators are already making a living out of it with NFTs and digital assets. So again, it's just inevitable. So I'm just going to end the conversation now by thanking Emma and Paul and saying, see you both in the metaverse. <laughs> we'll see you there. We'll see you there. <laughs> if you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 170 such conversations we've had with world-class leaders in sales and marketing. Follow us on LinkedIn. Head over to agencydomasters.com and sign up to our weekly email newsletter to make sure you never miss an episode. We would be unable to do the show that our very own Dealmasters. Tyler Baller is our booker. Christoph Boaszczyk is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Alibaba. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters. You were listening to Agency Dealmasters, brought to you by Bridge the growth-focused podcast agency.